Hello and welcome to A Chronic Entrepreneur. My name is Dara and my mission is to change the dialogue surrounding chronic illness by sharing empowering stories of entrepreneurs thriving with and despite their chronic illnesses. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis seven years ago, mere months after opening Byzantine Design, the most beautiful tile store in Melbourne, Australia. These stories are what I was looking for when I was diagnosed. I'm happy that you are here. Welcome to A Chronic Entrepreneur, the podcast telling stories of entrepreneurs thriving with chronic illness. I'm your host, Dara Shashwa, and I would like to welcome Justine Martin today as our guest. So Justine is the owner and founder of The Resilience Mindset, a division of the Justine Martin Corporation. Justine draws on her years of experience and knowledge, consulting with clients to develop and sustain a positive mindset. Justine has just won five awards at the Oz Mompreneur Awards, including gold for Coach of the Year. Yeah, you. Thank you. And is launching the Resilience Mindset podcast in November, a new Resilience Mindset eight-week course in December, and Resilience Mindset book mid next year. You've been very busy. That's She's- only half of it. <laughs> She's also the co-author of three books with national and international companies, with one book, Release the Shackles, launching in October, and the other two books launching in early 2022. Welcome, Justine. I can't wait to dive into your story. I'm exhausted just reading that. Jeez, I hear that all the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. I bet you do. It's um, It's a lot, and I guess... Have you been really busy during lockdown, like getting a lot of this done? Are they projects that had started while COVID, had they, were they happening before COVID or have they kind of happened because of COVID? Look, it's been a mixture and, um, you know, I, I live by myself and there's only so much mindless TV that one can can watch and I've never been one to, you know, of the last 20 years anyway, been sitting there and just uh, twiddling my thumbs. So uh, I have used the opportunity of, you know, being in lockdown and and putting myself into uh, lots of activities that I can do. So the book writing, um, illustrating and writing my own children's book. Uh, So uh, as we were discussing before, I've submitted it off to 30 publishers and um got two knockbacks and one contract but I'm just sitting on that contract at the moment to see what else uh, comes in and so from that there'll be a range of linen greeting cards prints uh all from that's it'll be a series of children's books so the first one's about equality and I've got a little mini dash hound and, and she's the feature throughout that particular book and um so it, it one thing has just led to another which has um, led to another and I'm one of these people that actually actions on their ideas rather than just you know thinking Looking about, about it, it. Actioning, um I do go forth and and action on them whether they're good ideas or bad ideas at, at that particular stage so do you think that's got something to do with a chronic mindset like I think that it's the I think once you get diagnosed with a chronic illness or you you've been sick for you know like I think you really get this mindset of I've got to keep going I've got to keep doing it I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm just going to do everything I think it all comes down like for me it's about time um you know I've been slapped in the face a couple of times in reality on how life 
um, is actually very, very short. So to me, time is the most precious commodity because you can't buy it, you can't reuse it, you can't sell it and you can't borrow it. Uh, so if you've got an idea in your head and you, and you say, oh, I'll get around to that one day, I'll tell you now that one day never comes. So you have yeah. to action on things straight away. So whether that's, you know, writing it down and, and then, you know, making a plan on, on how you're going to do it. So, yeah, time to me since being diagnosed uh, 10, oh, 10 and a half years ago um, totally changed. That would be the one thing that totally changed for me is yep. that, you know, we're not all going to walk this planet for eternity. You know, be very, very careful on who you spend your time with and what you spend your time on. You're really slapped in the face with your mortality. Yes. When it happens, like you just kind of realise that, oh, shit, like it is finite and mm-hmm. I need to, if I want to start doing things, I've got to, yeah, I've got to make it happen. That's right. So were you yeah. entrepreneurial as a child? Like were you like little Justine? Did you have? <laughs> I didn't have a lemonade store, but this <laughs> sound really gross. I used to collect all the old bits of soap and then remake it into other soap and sit out the front of the house trying to sell soap for 50 cents a cake. So, yeah, it wasn't lemonades, it was soap. So, yeah, I've always been, yeah, had that entrepreneur uh, mindset um, didn't really think about that that's what it was until you know recently when all of a sudden you know my businesses have just you know it's like that little snowball that starts at the top of the hill and and then takes and off. momentum yeah and just gets bigger yeah that's right so yeah um, and you know I've done every multi-level marketing business that there actually is I think on the planet I've had a crack at them at least once each one and um you know learned from that as well and and that has taken me to you know where I am today so it's quite the entrepreneurial journey I hate that word's overused but it really is you learn so much not just about yourself but about the world when you're an entrepreneur and you the growth that one experiences within that is huge like I am so not the person I was when I started my business eight years ago and I look back on that I was even last year exactly none of us are no, that's right. And, you know, you've got to be open to change as well and adapt and, and, you know, adapt to the current, you know, economic climate. You know, if you've been in lockdown and you haven't been able to work, well, then you need to look at um, other avenues to, to bring income in. And, you know, your, your business should have seven different income streams. So when one fails, you've got another one there backing you up. So you're not reliant on, you know, solely one income stream. I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things that I've learned. How did well. you come up with seven? Or did how I went to a seminar? Okay. <laughs> a seminar. Yeah. And you know, I sit down with, you know, my businesses and, you know, definitely have now all those different income streams coming in because, you know, do you work? do you work a job or do you work a business or does a business work you? So you've got to work out where you sit. You know, if you don't get up and, and you're having a, if you're having a bad day and you can't work that day, does the money stop? Or have you got, you know, residual income that will be coming in through other sales and that, and that's what I've been focusing on more the last 12 months. And that's why, you know, there's so many books that are coming out and the courses and and stuff like that, that if I can't, 
you know, get into the studio and teach art wellness classes one particular day, at least I've got some other income streams uh, being there. So, yeah, let's talk about your art. Yep. I've done a bit of deep and I just think your whole story about learning how to be an artist, how to art, (laughs) fascinating. Can you talk me through that? So I was diagnosed with MS in March 2011 And then um, my neurologist said I had to stop work in the April. Um, My cognitive issues were, or they still are, that I can't count properly um, anymore. I'm a bit better than what I used to be, but, you know, thank goodness for calculators on phones and and plastic money now, you know, just to have to go because I can't work out if they're giving me the right change. Um, which is, you know, that's a bit of an issue. Uh, so he turned around and said to me when I stopped work, he said, look, you're going to have to find a hobby because I didn't have a hobby at that stage. I was always, you know, so busy with work. And um, I said, oh, well, I've always wanted to learn how to paint. And that was always in the back of my mind that when I retire one day, I'll learn how to paint. Yeah. And um, that's why lots of, you know, neighbourhood centres exist for those that have retired to go and learn how to paint. Anyway, it took me about three, four months to walk in through the art studio door that my girlfriend um, ran in Perth and I took to it like a duck to water and she goes, oh, you don't really need much help. I'm like, oh, okay. And then we moved over here and I joined one of the neighbourhood centres and um, uh, I was the youngest by about 25 years, I think, in the class at one particular stage. And then I outgrew those classes after a couple of years. People, the students were actually coming to me for advice rather than and, and the, the teacher. And I'm like, yeah, it's time for me to leave. And um, so in that period of time, I won lots of awards. I just entered wherever I could see an exhibition. I put my artwork in it. And Amazing. Um, built up my name uh, that way. Uh, was it painting? What was your medium? I use all mediums. I'm one of those, <laughs> one of those gifted people. So um, apparently um, acrylic paint, watercolour, inks, um, sculptures out of uh, a product called Peltea Premium. So it's a cement modelling compound. I make uh, five foot six height in giraffes that go outside in your garden so I've sold quite a few of those yeah so you know drawing I've done um charcoal I've done graphite um I do stippling with ink I like bright bold uh colors so I do lots of animals lots of giraffes lots of dash hounds and lots of frogs okay they're, they're the three that I tend to tend to focus on um, I've got my own green tree frogs in my kitchen and they're my little models and I've got a little dash hound so um she's my model as well and no giraffe though no giraffe in the back no but I'm very tall so in heels I'm over six foot and um I did have the fake eyelashes on not so long ago you know the eyelash extension extension my cousin's like your eyelashes are just like a giraffe and I'm like yes that's what I was aiming for. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I tower above all my friends and that's and they all think that I'm a giraffe anyway. So maybe that's where it comes from. But um, uh, yeah, it, I love creating bright, bold canvases that people just stand and look at them and they smile. So, you know, 10 years ago when I stopped work, I didn't 
think that I'd ever contribute into society again and what was my purpose in life and art definitely brought that back you know I over the last 10 years I've donated lots of uh, paintings to charities and fundraisers and you know a painting of mine will sell at a charity for you know between 500 to a thousand dollars now and that's good to know that you know I'm contributing back and helping someone with that so you know 10 years ago the world was looking very very bleak uh, for me in four walls and it's a totally different world now because I stepped up and took ownership uh, of my disease and and didn't let it define me on who I was. So um, occasionally it likes to remind me that it's still around. And oh, yeah. Never goes away, does it? No. Do you think it was the bright colours that were, that were for you to add that kind of the colour into your life if everything was so bleak? Like did you always paint in really bright colours? Was that your natural well, I hadn't really painted anything prior to 2011. I'd done some hobby ceramics, you know, 30 years ago when hobby ceramics was all the rage. But, yeah, the the bright, bold. I, I have a little bit of a saying that life's too short to be beige. Yes. You know, why should you wear... Why should you wear black all through summer or uh, through winter or, you know, all the dark colours? You know, put some colour into your life and you'll feel happier. And it's so much easier to be positive than to be negative all the time. And bright colours, if you surround yourself with bright colours, it's harder to be negative. When It's true. When you, you should see my house. It's painted on the outside. It's painted lime green turquoise and mauve and a black in there so all my brand colors are painted outside my neighbors love it amazing yeah I was out the front the other day in the garden because like there's one of the big giraffe sculptures out the front and there's lots of color in the front yard and a lady walks past and she goes oh is this a kindergarten I'm like ah no this is actually my residence I'm very (laughs) fortunate to live in a house like this so uh, yeah it's quite funny amazing amazing I just yeah I I find that so inspiring and just the fact that you got the gift out of the disease and the gift was art. Yeah. I'm from a very arty family. Mm. Um, I've got a a cousin that's a silversmith and my aunt's a graphic artist. She does all my graphic artwork. So, yeah, and, you know, my son's creative building drones and I think that that's definitely helped. So and I didn't have to wait till I uh, retired to learn art. I just had to wait until I became uh, disabled uh, to learn it. So, yeah, and, and good things have come out of becoming disabled. I, I can't say that it's been all negative because it definitely hasn't. Uh, you know, I've had an amazing 10 years so far uh, with, you know, with coping, you know, with the MS and everything else that's gone wrong. But um there's been some amazing times in my life in the last 10 years and, and they wouldn't have happened unless I'd actually gotten MS. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do think my, everyone I speak to, uh, like there's always a gift. Yes. And there's like, and that's what I guess the whole idea of this podcast is that for, for the people who are newly diagnosed or people who are just and newly diagnosed, I mean like three years in still, Yep. you're still really finding your way is to just actually give people hope that life's really good it could be even better than 
what you expected it to be purely because of the diagnosis. And that's what I'm doing now is um, with the resilience uh, mindset consulting is actually helping um, other disabled people with direction and what they can do in their lives. And it's funded under NDIS as well. So if anyone is out there and they're looking or they, they want some direction or they don't know which step to turn next, then get in contact with me and I can definitely um, help maybe not build an empire as big as what I'm building, but, you know, definitely help them in the steps in, in the right direction um, with it because it's all about, you know, how quickly you can bounce back from that adversity that you're facing and, you know, having a chronic disease is, is a big adversity and scary to start with. Totally scary. Did you find at the start of COVID, I was kind of like a lot of people were very thing with the uncertainty of everything but I was kind of like yeah same that bit doesn't bother me I'm kind of good with that because I live yeah. with that every day you just don't whereas a lot of people who obviously aren't haven't been sick and haven't had a diagnosis were very at the beginning it was very hard it was for a lot really of people. interesting I don't know if you saw it like I did that it was like all the society in one foul swoop was um realizing their own mortality that's how I saw it. And, you know, I, I've faced my mortality quite a few times, actually. <laughs> but to, you know, here there was, here there is this, um, you know, virus that has no cure. Well, we have diseases that have no cure. So what we experienced and the grief that we went through when we were first diagnosed was what all of society was doing. In yeah, the whole world now. went through it. Yeah. One foul swoop. And so I've, I found that very interesting on how people were, were coping with it and how they're still coping with it now. So, yeah. um, you know, being in lockdown, as I've said to people, this is not my first rodeo in lockdown. I've been through chemo and people couldn't come near me and I've had the hand sanitizer and the masks at the front door for the last five years. So nothing has changed there at all. And, you know, my family and friends knew before COVID that if they had a cold or they were sick that, uh and they couldn't come near me. So, you know, not much has changed there, has it? No. Let's go back to your chronics. Yes. So your so you said earlier you were diagnosed with MS in 2010? Correct. Was? Yes. No, 2011. 2011. 2011. I became yeah. ill in 2010. Yeah. So with I know with my journey, like I was, I would have bouts of things going wrong, like vertigo and stuff for about eight to ten years. And it wasn't very often. But there were like times my body was kind of saying to me, things aren't right. And then it would get better. Yep. And then something would happen. It was always after stress for me. How long, like what were your symptoms before a diagnosis? Like how did you uh, how did so start for you? My vision went all blurry. So I'd be sitting there and the next thing in the world would be blurry. And then it had come crystal clear and there was no time set on it. I could wake up and be blurry. I could go all day and then I'd be blurry for five minutes, be back good for an hour. And then the next five hours I'd be blurry again. So I went off to my doctor and said um, about it, went for an infected belly bar piercing. And when I was there, I just went, oh, by the way, my vision's not too good at the moment. Now, two years prior to that, I'd had an MRI because I had a lump up in my neck and um, I was diagnosed, I had an MRI on that, no brain lesions, but I was diagnosed with um, myofascial pain syndrome through my face. 
And I've had migraines, so I'm a hemiplegic migraine sufferer and I've had them since I was 15. And then um, he said, oh, when was, when I had the MRI, I had a cyst detected behind the right eye and I'd never really had it looked at because my ears, nose and throat specialist said, um, nothing to worry about, Um, lots of people have them. So I didn't worry about it. I had my tonsils out instead for the second time (laughs) in uh, the end of 2009, but I didn't worry about it. And then, so yeah, 2010, I was running for Parliament in Western Australia for the Senate. Yeah, yeah in your spare time. And um, I was under a fair bit of stress and anyway, I had this infection in the belly button and just mentioned it. And then within 24 hours, I was sitting in a neurosurgeon's office and that scared the shit out of me. Yeah. And the first question I asked was, oh, do you think it's MS? Because my mum had MS, my mum's cousins, um, two of mum's cousins have got it as well. And um, he goes, no, no, I don't think so. I think it's something else. We'll send you for another MRI. And, and um, I'm like, okay. And I noticed that I was having cognitive difficulties in not remembering things as well. I could no longer multitask. And then I had pain in my left arm and there was like a serious and tingling in my face. And so it took about six months with more symptoms coming along and then changing from the neurosurgeon to a neurologist who then said it was my migraines that were causing all of this and put me on migraine tablets. And I kept saying, well, how come, you know, after all of these years, after 25 years, why is a a sudden has it changed and why aren't I getting any pain if it's migraines? And then, you know, I was diagnosed that it was cluster headaches and, and things just weren't adding up. Anyway, I pushed and I pushed and I pushed for a diagnosis. And then March 2011, um, I was diagnosed with MS and that neurologist never apologised for calling it wrong. My, I had I had something similar like mine. I had a fall and my GP suspected MS. Yep. And I went to the neurologist and I like the whole side of my body was going numb. And he did some tests. He's like, it's anxiety, go on antidepressants. And I was like, this is not that. No. And I pushed and he just waved me away. Yeah. And then it took another six weeks to get her. And I just got worse. I fell over again. I got optic neuritis in both eyes. I was terrible. Like then this in the first three months of me opening my shop. And then I went back because he finally wrote the, wrote the referral for me and had, and obviously there were lots of lesions in my brain and spine. Yeah. And he said, oh, you've got MS. And I said, but you said six weeks ago that it was something. And he just kind of brushes you yeah. off. And, and so my neurologist told me that I would never be able to work again. Ha! <laughs> it's good when you can prove that. I all. cannot <laughs> wait for my first books to come out. Oh, you're going to send them? I'm sending them to him and saying, thank you very much. I am working again. You know, I was told uh, back in 2012 that there wasn't enough money, there wasn't enough funding or time to retrain me. Wow. You know, that's it, it's gut-wrenching to be told that. But you, you've got to find your niche of what you can still do and what you're still capable of doing and then explore on that, explore on that idea. Yeah, so I, I started painting and five months later I sold my first painting for $300. And I'm like, I can still make money. I'm like, yeah. contribute to society again. 
And because that was a big thing for me is contributing to society. You know, if I can't pay tax, you know, and I'm going to be a burden on society, what can I actually do? And so that's how it, you know, came about that um, I entered an art exhibition and, and first exhibition that I'd ever entered and $300 I sold it for. I'm like, wow. And, you know, that to me could have been like $3 million because when I stopped work, my partner at the time earned too much money for me to get any government assistance. Oh, so I lost $60,000 overnight and that was my income was gone. We still had, well, we had more bills coming in because at that stage in Western Australia, you had to pay for MRIs and everything. And I was having quite a lot of those. And they're not um, cheap. No, yeah. they were $800 each. Yeah. And um, yeah, we were, you know, we were going down the gurkler and the strain that it put on our relationship was, was massive. And so for me to actually, you know, have my own money again was huge. And you know what I used that $300 for? What? I bought more art supplies. Yeah, of course, yes, you did. Of course you did. <laughs> and then I went on to win, you know, a scholarship through MS Australia, the Go for Gold Scholarship, and won $3,000 through them, and that bought lots more art supplies. And I'm like, right, I'm going to start a business. Well, you've and got to reinvest in the business, don't you? You've just got to keep, right. yeah, right. keep going right. until... And then entered lots and lots and lots of exhibitions and won lots and lots and lots of awards, not just disability exhibitions, but with able-bodied people as well. So um, it's like, wow, I can hold my own out in the art world without having to use, you know, a disabled artist tag. So yeah, amazing. Uh, that was that was huge for me that moment then. And and then I decided that I wanted to give the opportunity to other disabled people um, on how to, you know, create their own masterpieces and what they want to do with it. So then was born um, in 2019, Just Art Wellness Classes. I wanted to do it earlier, but then I got diagnosed with the cancers and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll just put that idea on hold at the moment and um, we will action it when I'm uh, a little bit healthier to do so. Were you working on that while you were going through all your treatments for cancer? Yes. Yeah. 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 I have a friend who, um, who I've also interviewed and she started a candle business while going through chemo. On, um, and, like, someone actually came in and was, like, to check that she was mentally okay because they couldn't understand how someone at stage four cancer was trying to start a candle business. Well, I was stage four. Yeah. And yeah. I think, yeah, it's amazing what what can don't, happen. Don't tell me that my life's over. Yeah, exactly. Like you just keep yeah. pushing on and, yeah. And yeah, I, every day make sure that you live that day to the best of your ability. And that was, you know, what kept going through my my mind is, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not going to listen to, oh, I'm dying. We're all dying every single day yeah. the day you're born you are dying mm. but you know live each that that cliche live each day like it's your last yeah you know get in there and and be productive on on what your health allows you to do at that particular time and you know I, again i had to adapt um my artwork because i lost the ability for oh, a decent period of time on holding a pen or even a paintbrush because the cancers had affected my hands so much. 
Um, well, there's actually a, a, another disease that I had called um, mitrioglobulinemia, and that that was causing so much inflammation in my body that I couldn't hold anything. So I learned how to finger paint. I taught myself how to finger paint. I could still create something. So creating artwork has always been a form of meditation for me. I'm not one that can sit there and go arm in the corner and, and meditate quietly like that, but I can definitely sit there and create art and take myself into a, into a, a mental state where, you know, the world is, is void and, you know, I create uh, beautiful pieces. So to still be able to do that, you know, with, with my fingers was was huge. And now I teach um, finger painting for grown-up workshops as well. So you know, it would be so tactile and it would just oh, bring out your inner child. Like, yeah, like, yeah. When was the last time you finger painted those people? I've done speed painting as well in competitions and I always finger paint in speed painting because I can I can create a piece of art in about 45 minutes by finger painting and just letting it all flow and it's just so much fun. I mean, you get as much paint on you as what you do on the canvas, but, you know, that, that's fine. I've got to wear gloves because, you know, I've got the acrylic nails. So um, <laughs> it gets under the nails. And the- <laughs> oh, my nail technicians are like, oh, you've been using paint again. I'm like, oh, yeah. And ink, you know, everywhere. You don't worry about that. Um, just got to make sure that I wear my old clothes, not the new clothes. But, yes. you know, one, one project has always led into another project and um, hence why, you know, I'm now running so many uh, different businesses and they're under the umbrella of Justine Martin Corporation and it's just expanding uh, all the time. So, you know, I've still got lots of big dreams and, and goals uh, in front of me and, and you know, unless I get out of bed every day, they're not going to happen. So even exactly. on my six days going through chemo, I still got out of bed. And even if it just meant go and sit on the lounge, I still managed to throw the covers up and look like the bed was made. So I had accomplished one thing that day. And then I went and, you know, either sat on the lounge or managed to get in the studio um, with the bucket beside me and and create art. And when I'd go in for chemo, in the hospital, I would take artwork in and I'd sit there and draw the whole time that I was there. And that really helped pass the time as well. And a lot of those pieces I gave away to other um, patient uh, cancer sufferers that were next to me. And they, you know, comment that they really like that. And by the end of the day, I'm like, here you go, you can have it. Mm. You know, that made them feel better and that made me feel, feel better. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, it, it doesn't cost anything to be kind. Not at all. And then we need more of it. We do. We How's do. your health today? Ah, interesting question. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, today, not too bad. Um, I'm just, I'm on the end of a minor reflare with the EMS. Um, I've had to use a walking frame, which gives me the shits. So I'm I'm a lot better than what I was even six weeks ago. I can actually now go out for small walks again. Um, I couldn't go out before at all. Uh, I'm back at the gym. I have a PT three times a week because one of my goals is to go back to compete in weightlifting. And so I work with a PT. So I've represented Australia since being diagnosed with MS in Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting. So 
Uh, I'm still glowing green, so I can't go back to Olympic weightlifting at this stage, but I can definitely go back to some of the powerlifting codes. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very proactive in my health, so I look after my body the best I possibly can by putting good fuel into my body. Uh, very few man-made products, but, you know, fresh fruit, veggies, meats, lots of water. I drink a copious amount of water throughout the day. I'm allergic to caffeine, so I don't drink tea or coffee. Um, I walk when I can. I weight lift three times a week. And every session is always different depending on how my body's feeling. I have a fantastic PT that helps me with that. And because it's one of my goals to do that, NDIS actually help. Uh, in regards to it I have a neurophysio that looks after that side of me I have a counsellor that my mental health is very important and I wouldn't be where I am today unless I'd seek that in that external help and I'll see her every fortnight without you know missing a session if I can't get into the office to see her it's a telehealth appointment so you know all of that that whole package and you know, helps where I am with my health today. And that saying that you are the sum of the five people that you hang around is very, very true. So if you're hanging around with negative people all the time, you're going to feel negative. You're going to feel down. Yeah. But, you know, if you're in a circle is is positive people, then, you know, they'll inspire you to put you in a better mood. And, and being in that better mood helps then on your body and reducing the stress that you put on your body as well you know if something's stressing you then you need to drop it change it and make that choice to do that because uh, if you're stuck in that long long-term stress situation it, it it's going to cause havoc on your on your chronic it does yeah and you, you need the wellness team and it's it's amazing yeah. i think melbourne victoria have got amazing healthcare options um, like eastern and western stuff i've just started seeing a neurophysio at uh in the last couple of weeks he's amazing like i've been seeing one for eight years yeah like this guy's just and you meet the most these people who are just natural healers Mm -hmm. who have just been put on this planet to do that for people i've got acupuncture neurophysio i've got kinesiology I see a massage therapist um, about every 10 days who specialises in bone and uh, soft tissue. So I also have another incurable disease called um, lipedema, which affects 11% of all women. And it's also known as painful fat syndrome. So, you know, tree trunk legs. Mm. Uh, And so that's extremely painful as well as having the MS that's painful. And I I find the massage with them, you know, just really helps relieve the pain. And, you know, pain's probably the hardest thing to deal with. You know, you can deal with a body part that doesn't stop working because you can get AIDS for, you know, mobility aids and that for it. But Mm. the pain, the chronic pain is, is probably the hardest Oh, how do you mentally deal with all that? Like, how do you, like, what I try are you busy? So I find if I stop and think too much about it, then it all becomes consuming. I've also found that if I can get a really good night's sleep, then the pain's easier to deal with and to sleep through the pain. So 
Um, I'm on medicinal cannabis oil by prescription. I was one of the first in the state to actually um, get that quite a few years ago now. And uh, that gives me a red, relatively good night's sleep. And when needed, I use back often for the muscle spasms, which then leads to the pain. So if I can keep on top of it and not be pig-headed and go, oh, it's all right, I don't need to take this or need to do that, it's easier to deal with uh, the pain. If you're having a bad day, like a flare-up with that, how do you manage, like what are your... What do you do? How do you look after yourself? How do you be kind to yourself? So I have a look at the first thing in my trusted system, my planner, on what's on for the day and what things I could possibly reschedule. Yeah. It's a really bad day. It might mean that I'm just sitting on the lounge all day and that becomes my office. So rather than sitting in my office, you know, try and get, you know, as most comfortable as I, as I possibly can. I'll then try and get into an extra massage session or my neurophysio will come to me and help me. Uh, with that with she, she's exceptionally good she'll normally come within about 24 to 48 hours because um, she knows that when I'm reaching out to her that I'm on my last straw yeah. uh, and that I need help straight away uh, as for work I have a really good team around me that I now employ and I can call on them uh, to pick up the slack on on things if you know I feel that I I can't cope with it that day but I'm extremely headstrong um, very, very headstrong, uh, as most people who know me will, will say that. <laughs> I've never met anyone as headstrong as what I am. And um, I normally just push through. Though with me, pushing through could mean my fatigue becomes so bad that I don't actually have enough energy to keep myself warm. And so I'll be sitting there under an electric throw rug uh, trying to keep warm with the heater on 24 and everyone else is walking around in shorts and a t-shirt because I've got the house so warm um, or I've got to hop, hop in and have a shower to warm up um, or I will take you know I'll get to the point where it's like okay I need to go lie down for 10-15 minutes and find some spoons and and reactivate yeah. uh, myself with the spoon theory and and, you know, I, I know what I'm capable of. I know headstrong how capable I'm of. And, you know, the average person would probably flitter with uh, what I manage to get done uh, per yeah. day. But I am stuffed at the end of the day. And, and, you know, sometimes having conversations, words don't come out right and I'm so fatigued, I vague out. I have to be really careful in meetings I'm all right if I'm the one talking and I'm still doing stuff. But if I'm sitting there in a big meeting, I have to be really careful not to just zone out. Yeah. Um, so keeping my brain active is a, um, one way of coping with the pain and um, with the fatigue. And I think the gift of all the chronic stuff is you actually have to learn to listen to your body. You do. Because if you don't, it takes you out. That's and right. And, and you know when there's something wrong with your body. So if you go to a, uh, a doctor and they, they don't listen to you. So I, in 2016, I went to my GP and I said, I'm going purple and showed her photos. And she goes, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Come back in four months if it's still happening. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, I, I spoke to my shrink and I went, oh, this is what she said. And she goes, are you happy with that? And I'm like, no. She goes, 
what do you think you should do? I said, I'm going to get a second opinion. Mm. I went off and had a second opinion and my, like went to my neurologist and, and everything. Cause I just, you know, thought, Oh, maybe it's the meds that I'm on the disease modifying therapy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, yeah, it turned out that it was called Lividio reticularis, which then led me to being diagnosed with melanoma, which then led me to being diagnosed with chronic um Oh, actually, the mixed cryoglobulinemia, and then I got diagnosed with the chronic lymphocystic leukemia and small lymphocystic lymphoma, and I had all of that at once. And my GP, words. Yeah. GP turned around and said, "It's nothing to worry about. Come back in four months." And if I'd waited that four months, I can tell you now, I would not be here because I was stage four by the time they they diagnosed me, and I was going downhill at a very, very rapid rate. And um, yeah, you know your body. Yeah, and I think we put doctors on this pedestal. What you got they're, to remember, they're humans as well, and they're general practitioners. Yeah. So you will sometimes people um, have far more complicated needs than what the general practitioner, and you can outgrow your GP. Mm. I outgrew her her expertise. Yeah. Um, and rather than saying, oh, I can't help you, you need to go see such and such, she dismissed me and told me to come back in four months later, hoping that, you know, the Lividio would have would have gone. It got worse. I looked like I was a zombie every time I walked out of the house. My ears would go black, my nose, my chin, my neck, my hands, my feet were all going dark black because the... Um, the blood under the surface of the skin was actually clotting. And so how I didn't throw any bigger clots is amazing because um, I could have thrown a clot to the easily to the lung or to the brain, but um, that didn't happen. And, you know, prior to that, in 2013, 14 and 15, 15 I had heart surgeries. And, again, I was outside of, you know, their expertise because, as I found out in 2017, the heart complications that I had were because I had the cancer all the way back then, but no one had picked up on it. And if they had of, I wouldn't have had to have the heart surgeries. Well, chances are I wouldn't have had to have them. So, you know, if you're not happy with your medical team, find someone that you are happy with. And you are your best advocate. Like you, That's if you right. can't, like I remember even before I got diagnosed, I had gone to my GP a few months earlier and I said, there's something not right. I can't put my finger on it, but I am not right. normal. Yes. Normal is not the right word, but there's something wrong. Well, it is. It's your normal. Yeah. You're not your, your normal self. Yeah. And no one knows that better than what you do yourself. And the problem is with MS and that, the majority of it, unless it hits an external extremity, so your arms and your legs, you look normal. It's an yes. invisible disease. Yeah. And pain is an invisible thing as well. So yeah, you gotta find you gotta find a really good medical team. I mean, I'd love to move to Queensland. I'd love to move north where it's warmer. I'm one of these people with um with MS that I'm in the 10 percentile that the cold affects me more than what the heat does. And so I freeze through winter here. Um, but my medical team now is so good here that yeah, to try sacrifice. and find someone yeah. else, it, it, it's all become too hard. So it's like, all right, well, I have you an old, old holiday off in Queensland when yeah. it was open. <laughs> and, sit, and sit under my heated electric blanket yeah. on the couch. Yeah. 
under the heater. <laughs> well, I think you're amazing. I think everything you've been through, I think that your, I want to say your stubbornness to not be oh, put down by anything. Like <laughs> you've got to be one of the most stubborn people ever. I'm pink headed. I'm pink headed. My family will tell you that when I dig my heels in. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't like failure. <laughs> I don't like failure. So, um, but you know, the MS doesn't define who I am anymore. It's, you know, well, none okay, of it does. part of me. No, it, look, it's been a part of me. It is a part of me, but it's not all of me. And, you know, it's learning to cope and work around what your disabilities actually are. And, um, you know, people say to me all the time, oh, wow, you know, you look great. You don't have, you know, how can you have this wrong with you? And, you know, I put a lot of effort into the way that I look and, and, pre and present myself. And um, my close team know when I'm having a bad day, they can look at me now and, and go, you know, you're not very good, are you? And I'm like, no, I'm not but let's soldier on and let's yeah. get through this. And again, that comes down to the whole time thing as well. And, you know, you know, don't put off today. What's the saying? Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. Yes. That's it. <laughs> just do it now. Just do just it do now. It. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. So let's pretend COVID's over. Yes. Cause it will be eventually. Um, what are you looking forward to in the next six to 12 months? Like what's on your I want to say bucket list, but what's on your list of things to actually do for oh, you? Okay. For me, um, all yeah. right. So my business is me. Um, I'm starting my own podcast channel uh, next month and YouTube channel from that. I've got my um, eight week course on resilience. Uh, launching at the end of the year so that's really great so um, that'll be people can just sign up for it and uh, go through the eight weeks and there's group coaching and one-on-one -on -one coaching and everything uh, with me through that so you know my mission is to help as many people as I possibly can um, I've got a book coming out this month that I've co-authored the two co-authored books that are coming out in March and I'm writing my own book which will be out hopefully um, mid next year the kids book being published as well as then there's the art wellness classes where I'm expanding to do an online platform for them as well I also have another business called Van Gogh Decals and my artwork is being produced to go on large decals or decals however you want to pronounce it um to go on caravans camper vans and then i'm doing a range for mobility scooters and wheelchairs and you know pimp up my ride pimp up my <laughs> uh, because you know everything's catered to old age disabilities and not young you know oh, not younger and everything's gray and beige yeah like, when you go to hospital when i go to hospital and you're in the ward getting my anti-sabri i just sit there and i'm like why do they buy grey chairs? Why do they paint the walls? Like, do a colour. I know. People I know. would be so much happier. Oh, my neurologist, because I go to Epworth uh, sometimes to see my neuro and uh, it's bright orange. But then I sit there and go, oh, my God, whoever did this was colourblind because those oranges don't match. One's warm, one's cool. Whereas, yeah. and I'm sitting to my neuro and he goes, what? And I'm like, can you not see the difference? Whereas I see so many colours. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm um, the same. Yeah. So <laughs> six to 12 months, you know, expanding the business. Yeah, just uh, putting what it out for the world. Hopefully, you know, do more speaking gigs 
um, you know, telling my story and helping as many people as I possibly can. So that's the next six to 12 months. And if I can't find a publisher that I like, I'm just going to start my own publishing house. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I've got a cut off on the 1st of January for the kids book. And if I haven't heard anything others back, I, you know, might consider the, the contract that I've got at the moment or I'll just start my own. So of course you will. Yeah. Of course you, what about fun? What do you do for fun? Oh, look, I love seeing live music, love live music, so I can't wait for that to come back. I normally see around about 10 major artists a year, big concerts, and, uh, yeah, lots of live music locally. Um, I want to get up to Townsville. My son and grandson and and daughter-in-law are up there. I've had five trips cancelled and I've missed every major um, celebration in my grandson's life so his birth Christmas christening my son's surprise birthday and my grandson's first birthday last week so that'll be the first thing as soon as the borders open I've got about $1,500 I think sitting with Jetstar and Qantas at the moment so look out uh, I'll be on that first plane and yeah just traveling and, and getting back out um, into society will be um, yeah once COVID yeah we can do it yeah yeah so one of the questions i ask everyone is if you could have a dinner party Mm -hmm. and you can invite anyone you want who's alive or dead who would you invite who would you sit on either side of you out of all the people and what food would you serve okay that's easy i would (laughs) invite um all my immediate family that have passed away so my great-grandparents and my grandparents and my mom is who I would invite Mm -hmm. and I would ask them all the questions that I never got around to asking when they were here yeah um who I would sit with well it'd be um every few you know every 15 20 minutes half hour you get up and you move and you sit next to someone else um I have very large dinner parties at home when COVID's not on obviously and you know I have 20 to 30 people and my friends come around and we all bring a plate everyone's got to bring a plate and I would do the same for this I would make everyone bring their favorite food that they cook because I miss their cooking I miss my nana's meatballs and you know just to taste that food again I miss my other nana's pavlova that she used to cook and my great-grandmother's pirishkis that she used to make and so for them all to bring you know the favorite foods that I grew up on that would be pretty special I think and grandma's made the best food didn't they grandma's just oh their food and record the you know, record it because, you know, when my grandparents passed away and when my mum um, died um, 26 years, uh, 24 years ago, that um, the, the technology wasn't there, you know, and to yeah. hear their voice again and, and that. So, yeah, that's who I'd invite for a dinner party. That would be an amazing dinner party. It'd be an emotional one too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, ask all those questions that you're like, oh, I wish I'd known the answer for that. Totally, yeah. The ones you never have time, you think you've got time for or, yeah, yeah that awesome. just don't happen. So what is a piece of art? This is a good question for you, actually. A piece of art, so something that someone else has created, movies, books, art, that has kind of helped you through the pandemic. Look, I... I watch lots of TED Talks. Yep. What's your favourite? Um, uh, Mel Robbins' five-second rule. Mm-hmm. 
um, that's been on the top of the list, you know, to action things on 54321, just action it, write it down, get up, do it. Yeah. Because um, we have so many ideas throughout our, throughout our days, but we don't action them. You know, you'll think of, think of a new business idea and just like, oh, yeah, I'll remember that. No. The only thing you have to remember is to write it down. Yeah. Write it down and you can come back to it. So that's been a big game changer for me um, through the, the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, but can I mention a piece of music that changed my life? Absolutely. So back in 1999, I was in a very bleak hole in my life. Um, my mum had passed away about 18 months before it. Um, I was in a marriage that was not a good situation to be in at all. Um, we owed a lot of money. He kept going out and booking more things up on accounts. We lived in a very small country town and I was 125 kilos. Um, so for those that can't see now, <laughs> I'm sitting on about 79 kilos <laughs> of a difference. And uh, my ex-husband owed my brother a lot of money and things were very, very messy. And my brother pulled me off to a seminar and made me listen to a piece of music before it and then the, the personal development seminar I went to the same piece of music was there and that piece of music changed my life and that was it's called arrival mm. and when I'm feeling that I need to a lift in my life or I need to refocus and that I listen to that piece of music and I was always told never to listen to it while driving the car because it was such an emotional piece for me um, and it's by the artist Douglas Spotted Eagle. So it's a Native American Indian piece of music. It goes for about nine minutes, um, but it is definitely worth listening to. And you just sit there, close your eyes and just let the music take you um, to somewhere in your journey. And the first time I listened to it, I came out, I was sitting there, my hands were on my thighs and I was bawling. I could feel the tears coming down my cheeks, but I couldn't even move my hands to wipe my face because I was in this trance, so to speak. And I saw myself as a size 16 in clothing. And to me, that was skinny uh, then when you're sitting in a size 26. But I, I knew that um, I would have to, I owned a clothing store um, that I would have to shut that store, finish building the house that I was building and potentially sell it and leave my husband. And within um, about 12 to 15 months, I um, achieved all of that. And then, and then and only then the weight would start coming off once I had made those decisions. And from that moment on um, was a real life changer for me in everything that I'd ever done. And I've never looked back um, from that moment in 1999. So although I'd lost things... Um, and financially hit rock bottom in having to use, you know, the Salvation Army and, you know, I've had to use food bank and the kids and I lived in a caravan at a caravan park and, and stuff like that. I've built up um, from that and that piece of music has always been there. So if you get a chance there, it's Arrival by Douglas Spotted Eagle. And I would love to listen to it. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Let me let me know what you think of it. Oh, that and, gave and- me goosebumps just <laughs> listening. That's why I asked the question because it's usually, I know music has a huge, like, mm-hmm. impact on me. 
Even yeah. just listening, like I've been struggling the last week or so, but just listening to some older stuff that I listened to in the 90s, like when I was in my 20s, and you just remember and it's just, it's like food, like sense, music, yeah. all that, just, yeah. yeah. And another, you know, food's not so good when you're on a downer because <laughs> I ate my food. I 125 yeah. kilos. But, <laughs> like, I've got some perfume that my mum used to wear and so I'll spray it and, and mm. that gives a feel-good, um, you know, feeling. And, yeah, music's very important. Um, a visual artist that I absolutely admire would um, be Frida Kahlo because... Yeah you know, she had her disabilities and she still painted through them and a lot of her paintings, you know, actually show her disabilities as well. And It's not the first time she's been mentioned on this podcast, uh, actually. Well, I, yeah. I entered the Archibald about oh, two, three years ago now and the Sydney Morning Telegraph did an article on me comparing my work to Frida Carwell and I'm like, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> if I never produce another piece of work, I am done to be compared to, like, her. It's like, oh, my God. So, uh, yeah, so there's three. You know, Mel Robbins up there and then uh, Douglas Spotted Eagle and Freda Carlisle. So. Amazing. So what's the, if people want to support you and find out more about you, what, what are the easiest channels? We'll put some in the show notes as well, but what's the easiest way people can find you? Uh, they can find me just on justinemartin.com.au um, mm-hmm. or on Resilience Mindset on socials, so on yep. uh, Instagram and, and Facebook or, you know, just Google Justine Martin Resilience Consultant or Justine Martin and Just Art, so J-U-Z-T-A-R-T, and I pop up everywhere. Um, okay. I, I'm very easy to find on Google. <laughs> well, you've also got an easily easy to spell name. I have, yeah. Which is good. I've spent my whole life spelling my name. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. I just, you just blow me away with everything you've achieved and how stubborn you are and how you just will not, you know, like you just keep going and you keep achieving. And I just think. Well, my life's not over yet. No, but you're just the light that the world needs. And I think that people, you know, like, thank you so much for telling sharing your story with me today I just I'm so grateful and appreciative thank you for having me on today it's been an absolute delight and you know if my story becomes someone else's survival guide well then that gives me some purpose as well so thank you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of a chronic entrepreneur Please also check out the blog at achronicentrepreneur.com where we have featured dozens more of chronic entrepreneurs who have shared their stories. If you have a chronic entrepreneur story of your own you would like to share, please don't hesitate to get in touch using the submit form on our website. Until next time, thank you for supporting the chronic entrepreneur.